Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts that guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by sponsors like Johnsonville Foods, SwineWeb.com, Innovative Heating, the manufacturers of Hog Hearth, and SwineTech, the award-winning creator of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how you can reduce piglet crushing and your overall pre-winning mortalities by nearly 25%, visit SwineTechnologies.com. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about discovering profitability in various forms of pork production. And joining us today is Kelly Worthington with Whispering Wind Farms and Christina Stender from A Farms. Thank you for joining us today. How are you both doing? I'm doing great. Good. How are you? Doing well. So it's great to have both of you on with us today, uh, both calling from Alberta, Canada, and talking through uh, raising pigs in a, in a very different way from what the traditional modern uh, production looks like. And so I'd like it if, Kelly, if you wouldn't mind just walking us through how you got involved in agriculture, but then also how you got involved in the pork production. Um, so we originally, when we first started with our farm, we started off doing grass-fed beef. So we looked at a breed, um, which is the Galloways, was what we looked at um, because they finished very well on forage. So then we decided as we grew and we grew more of a market, we had lots of inquiries for pasture pork. So we kind of started doing research on different breeds, and that's where we decided to get into the Cooney Coonies. And we're going to talk a little bit about why you chose the Cooney Coonies because it's an amazing story and uh, a really, really interesting uh, way in which you guys are bringing profitability from that particular breed of, of, uh, of pigs. Uh, and Christina, would you mind telling us a little bit about how you got involved in the industry? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, in 2016, my husband Andy, our two boys and I bought a little farm just outside of Strathmore, Alberta, um, which is just outside of Calgary. It was originally a cattle farm, and we now have converted it into an amazing outdoor pig paradise. Um, So I have um, a degree in animal science from the University of Guelph, and pigs were always on my go-to when I had to do research papers or projects. And it's always been a dream of mine to raise pigs on pasture, which is kind of strange because I'm not raised on a farm, and nor has my husband. Um, so then it just became, the question was, what breed of pigs do we want to raise and have to be a part of our family? So what, uh, you, you mentioned pigs in paradise. Uh, <laughs> can, you, can you maybe paint a picture for us of what that looks like? Um, well, I'm looking out the window right now and it's a rainy paradise today. <laughs> um, the pigs are loving it. Um, Basically, they're outside. Um, We do have a unique breed of pig that we're raising. I don't know if you want to know that now. Yeah, go ahead. What kind of breed do you use? (laughs) Okay. Uh, So after doing some homework, um, we decided on raising the Mangalitsa. 
Um, the, it, they just shined over and above all the other breeds when I was doing my homework, and they seem to be the best fit for our family. Uh, just like us, we're a little rare and unique breed, so we thought the Mangaditsa would be a perfect fit. And another reason we chose the, reg- the red Mangaditsa is no one else in Canada um, was raising them, so we saw a business opportunity there in a niche market. Um, and the Mangaditsa is one of the fattiest pigs in the world, and it's renowned for its charcuterie, uh, which is a growing meat art here in Canada. So there was another opportunity that I saw. Um, and yeah, so how, they're how, a very, very hardy breed. How, how do you go about raising the red Manganitsa then? It's Manganitsa, right? Manganitsa. Manganitsa. How, how do you go about raising that? I mean, what, what do you need to do from beginning to end to make that pig and that breed succeed? Um, well, they're very hardy pig. Um, so basically we have, um, as long as they have some sort of shelter and, uh, fresh water and we have, um, different areas that we graze them. So we do rotational grazing. And I also have a barn, um, that I'm famous for. So, uh, when the gilts or the sows are ready to farrow, I bring them into the barn two weeks before farrowing, get them all nestled in and settled in. And once they have their piglets, I sleep in the barn for the first three days, uh, just to make sure everybody's suckling, everybody's happy. Um, and mama doesn't squish anybody. So that's my time for my wine and pizza. And I'm down there for three days. How, how does farrowing work with the red manganitsa? Is it, uh, how many pigs do they typically have in a litter? Do you, do you take them away from the mother at any age? What, what does that look like for the piglet? Um, yeah, so the manganitsa ranges anywhere from five to eight um, per farrowing. We have been, um, the older sows have been getting anywhere from numbers from 10 to 12. Um, they stay with mom for two months before I wean them, unless uh, they're getting quite chunky and they're depleting mom. So then, uh, or if she's getting tired of them, then I shoo them away and we wean them. Um, but yeah, typically they stay with mom for two months. And then after that, we wean mom, um, depending on her um, posture and her healthiness, I guess, uh, she'll go right back into uh, breeding up again. And what are, what are the, I mean, when you're taking them from mom, are they right around that 40 to 60 pound weight size? Are they a little bigger than that? And, and how big are they when you eventually finish them and bring them to market? Uh, yep, they're anywhere from 50 to 80 pounds when they're um, off mom. And I raise them for two years compared to other pigs that's um, a long, longer time. And uh, hung, when I harvest a hung rail, they're over 400 pounds. Oh, wow. Okay. And we'll start yeah. talking about here in a bit, a little bit about uh, the, the marketing and, uh, and opportunity around that particular breed from a consumer perspective. But I want to hop back over to Kelly and talk about the, the Cooney Coonies. Why did you choose that breed? And, uh, and, and what, is that, what does that whole process look like? So we originally, when we first started looking in 2015, there was no breeders in Alberta. There was one breeder in BC and there was another couple breeders on Ontario and that was it. 
So we started the process. We got um, one male from BC and another, one of the first females that was born in Canada from Ontario. And so we started that process and we always wanted to be one of those breeders that concentrated on Kuni Kuni pasture pork. Um, when we first started, there was a lot of mixed genetics where some was more of pet stock compared to your pasture pork genetics. So we've been really working with length, leg structure. Um, we aim for 200 pounds live weight by a year old. And then we market, we process usually around 13, 13 months, around 165 to 175 pounds hanging weight. And that's kind of what seems to be the happy, like that's kind of our special spot that we like for carcass weights. And then now that we've got the market, we've actually started doing charcuterie. And we're now in three different, we're going to be in three different local stores carrying our charcuterie and fresh pasture pork. So, and the main reason we got into the Cooney Coonies was that um, we wanted a breed that would graze along with our grass-fed beef. So we decided that when we were doing our research and we decided that we wanted the pig that would, was a true grazer and that was the Cooney Cooney. Um, and then their gentle disposition. We currently have 12 mature boars that live together. So they're, they're really docile. They're easy to handle. You can handle and manage the piglets right at birth. Um, the mums are easy to deal with. It's just a really easy breed to handle, and yet still the cost, they're cost-effective, as in they don't cost us a ton to feed. Um, the average grain for a Kuni Kuni is about 1.5 to 1.7 pounds of dry matter per day. So they don't cost a lot by any means. Um, and then we also, um, with them being a lard breed, we also do um, soap with their lard. And how much space do you need to raise uh, the pigs you have and how, how many pigs do you raise at one given time? So currently, we, <laughs> you never ask it. My husband's always like, he never likes the answer to this. <laughs> but we currently have about 85 um, pigs from breeding stock to our feeders. And then our new litters, we have about 20 litters being born this year, and we're currently at about 61 piglets. So, okay. And then farrowing, the average about um, anywhere from six to eight is about the average for the coonies, even up to 10 to 12 piglets. And then we also, we usually wean, we prefer to wean a little bit later. We like, because we do group farrowings and a lot of our sows are out together. We don't normally pull the piglets until about 10 to 12 weeks of age. And that way they just socialize with the other adults and the piglets. And we just find they're just a little bit more developed in the extent that they're just a little bit more balanced and just easier to handle. They're just socially more acclimated with one another. So when you move them around, they yeah like for sure and like normally even by the time we pull the mums out they don't even care like they don't even and usually we find most of the coonies they won't even wean their piglets to about 10 weeks of age 
they're still they're still milking strong at eight weeks. So oh, wow, two that's impressive. We need to pull them at eight weeks of age. So we we usually do about ten to ten, 10 to twelve weeks for weaning. And it makes sense looking for a more docile breed because when they're out in the open there, if they were a docile breed, you're almost running for your life every time you tell, try to do anything with a piglet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, they're, they're pretty, I mean, unfortunately, the problem is when you get 61 piglets, they all swarm your feet, and it's like walking over little obstacle courses. <laughs> so let, let's hop back over to Christina and talk about uh, the perspective from the consumer or, or partnering with your community, or, or how do you maintain profitability with the Red, red Meganitsa? Uh, like, what does that look like when you're selling it? What, what is the pricing and, and the demand? Uh, so at the beginning, um, because the Red Magnetis is new to Alberta, um, I was basically doing cold calls to chefs, giving out samples, um, talking about our farm and us raising the Magnetis. And then I also, to create awareness, the past two years I have had a Hungarian Magnetis festival out at the farm. And last year we were hosts of Alberta Open Farm Days, uh, which we showcase in educate everyone on the breed and also reconnect people with their food and where it comes from. Um, so that kind of created a lot of awareness and today A Farms has a strong presence on social media, so Facebook, Instagram, and we have a, a great cool website um, that people are going to and that's where they can connect with me and come out to the farm and buy some products. So we do a lot of, mostly it's off-farm sales um, but we're also doing whole and half manga um, direct to restaurants. Um, really here too, because I was doing a, a podcast with a, a local um, farm in Iowa, and it's education was a big part of their mission and a big part of how they connected with the community. It sounds like you've leveraged education or educating the community on that particular breed as a really great way to create social media traffic and or uh, awareness around your product. Mm -hmm, definitely, because the Mangalitsa is a lard pig, and people don't realize, like, I'll be getting phone calls, especially now with COVID, oh, we'd like to buy a whole pig, we want to fill our freezer, and I'm like, okay, but I don't think this is the breed for you, and the reason why is they're 70% fat, um, you'll be overwhelmed with the four inch to five inch fat cap, like, what are you going to do with that, like, we got to walk through this, and at the end of our conversation if this is for you then great I'll sell it to you but as soon as you start talking about fat and then like how much fat there is versus the meat they kind of oh can I just buy maybe a pork chop or a roast instead I'm like I think that's a better idea and as much as I would love to sell even to restaurants I kind of discourage them kind of in a way to to buy a whole pig unless they're European chefs and they understand and then they get all excited about the Mangalitsa and they, they get it. Um, I always get them to try half uh, because they because need to find a home for that fat. Yeah, and it sounds like it's a very specialty type thing. If it's 70% fat, then what you're paying for isn't a heck of a lot of meat and that meat probably has a very distinguished flavor, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's very unique and it's it's unbelievable. Like that was one of the other reasons we went with the Mangalitsa. When I first tried it, like I spent ten days in Budapest learning about the breed, and I was just in awe. Like I'm like, this is not pork. Like it cannot be. 
in the same category as pork, it's different. So hence why the price is also um, a sticker shock to some people. Um, and it's not for everyone. And the people, a lot of foodies, uh, they want to try it. Once you try it, they're like, this is, I've never tasted anything like this before. And it's, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty cool to be raising an animal that was almost extinct after Second World War and having it on our farm and for us to continue on the heritage of it. And the, like, it has a lot of old history behind it. So it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty neat. It's just not so hop, raising pigs. <laughs> before we hop back over to the Cooney Coonies, you said you went all the way to Budapest to, to do research on this breed. I, I want to hear a little bit about this trip. Yeah, so I, uh, I met some Hungarian people in Calgary, and obviously this is their pigs, and I just, I had a feeling I needed to go to Budapest to learn everything I can. They actually have a Magnitsa festival in February, and it's phenomenal. It's a weekend-long event. Uh, it's just basically food and drinking and um, meeting a bunch of different producers, so I actually brought a lady from Calgary with me, um, and she's originally from there, but I needed a translator uh, because none of the farmers spoke or understood English. So for me to go there by myself would have been a, a little, there would have been a barrier there. So I brought this lady with me. She was my translator, and it was just, yeah, it was incredible. I learned so much. Um, the farmers and her, they were communicating and they would be laughing. I'm like, Hey, you need to talk. You need to translate what's going on. And I always carry like a little photo album book. Um, but it's not pictures of my family. It's pictures of all my pigs. Uh, <laughs> and the farmers would just laugh because first of all, I'm a female farmer. And second of all, I have a photo album of every single one of my piglets, every one of my like sows and boars. So they thought that was kind of unique and, and cool. So I kind of, um, got behind the scenes and I just wanted to make sure I was doing everything right and respecting the breed um, and doing it kind of old school. So we don't clip the tails. I don't clip their um, teeth and they stay as natural as possible. Well, that's really cool. And I appreciate you sharing that story with us. And that's just fascinating that you went on a trip like that to do that, to the due diligence and to maintain the heritage that is the, the Red Maganitsa. Um, so I'll hop back over to Kelly. When you're talking about the Cooney Coonies, what, what kind of consumers or, or market does that attract? And, and how have you gone about uh, bringing that to, to consumers? Yeah, so the consumers that it attracts is people that are looking for a bit of a smaller pig um, and that can be handled on probably smaller parcels of land. Like you don't need a ton of land to raise these guys. Um, the big thing with, you know, like I mentioned before, is with the Cooney Coonies, there was such a wide range of genetics from pet genetics to the pasture pork genetics. And by that, I mean like you would, your pet genetics would be about 75 pounds at a live weight of the year compared to your pasture pork genetics would be about 200 pounds that alive. So it's a lot of educating, which we do a lot of that on our Facebook page on explaining weights, um, confirmation, what you're looking for body wise. And then for marketing, we kind of go a lot. We do a lot of marketing actually on Facebook and okay. just educating people. Um, like Christiana, we had a ton of people with this COVID contacting us looking 
for feeders with Cooney Coonies. And it was one of those things where we'd have to say, well, I don't know if this is the breed for you because they take about 12 to 14 months to finish. And, you know, like most of these people are, you know, they're kind of looking for that six month finisher. It's, it will never happen. Like, unfortunately, yeah. with them being smaller yeah. pig, it probably will never happen that you'll finish them that early. So we did a lot of educating and, you know, lots of people were very interested. And then other people, they're like, well, we can't, you know, find anything. And we just suggested, you know, more towards the Facebook groups, Kijiji. Um, we do a lot of even advertising on Kijiji. Um, and then now with our local stores that are starting to carry our charcuterie and some of our fresh pork products is we get people from them recommending us and they contact us looking for pork and we do individual cuts and then halves and, and sides as well. From a pricing standpoint at, at a market, because this is a rarer breed and because it is it's unique in itself, what, what on a per pound or what, how does it compare to commercial pork in, in the sense of just a large Northern white? Well, like the charcuterie products are definitely more like more money. Um, our pasture pork products, like our fresh, we're about $5 a pound hanging weight is what we charge. And the reason for this is being a new breed, we didn't want to price ourselves out of the market where people wouldn't try the pork. We wanted to still, you know, price it that it's still, it pays for us to raise it that little bit longer, but it still gets the product out so people try it. Yeah, That's and the important thing here is, yeah, it's, it's not just a, a hobby here. This is a business, and yeah. you're offering a unique value to consumers so they can pay a little bit more, and I'm pretty sure they're glad yeah. to do that. Yeah, and we do, like our feed, we do no soy, no corn, and so we get a lot of people, like, um, especially because we're close to Calgary, we get a lot of people that that's important to them. They, you know, they want, they're getting away from corn and soy and GMO. So we kind of concentrate on that part of the feeding aspect. And then with the pastures and the grazing, um, any pig, like we all know that no pig will ever be straight grass fed. Like it's just, it's not, they're not a ruminant animal but that the majority of their diet is a forage diet also really attracts people. So, and we actually, we had a, a vet, um, he had come out because they were looking to add these pigs for their own farm. And we gave him some pork and he bought some of our prosciutto. And he said that he hadn't had pork that good since he'd been in Italy. Oh, wow. So, so that, was, that was pretty impressive. So, yeah, so we're just kind of, you know, just educating and promoting, and it seems to be working well. And I'll ask the same question of Christina, but when we look at the consumers as they are today, they do want something more unique. We're, foodies is a great phrase you use because there are more foodies around now than ever before. People want to try different things. And how do you think that plays into the decisions that you or, or other farmers should be what should people be thinking about with the way that the consumers have changed their preferences? Um, just especially like with um, the COVID and the restaurants being closed, um, 
I think there is a, a more of an increasing desire for people to know and understand where their food is coming from um, and how their food is being raised. And we've seen that um, increase here in the last uh, few months that, you know, um, maybe we should be looking at, instead of going to the grocery store, maybe we should be su- supporting some of our smaller local farms um, because we're working hard to produce a, a, a really good product um, and it's it's nice to have it in restaurants, but I like to have it like the one-on-one with the customer. Um, how was it? How did you taste? How did it taste? And, and that sort of thing. And back in April, one of the papers in Calgary um, called the, the Herald wrote an article on our farm on how COVID has impacted us. And since that article, the awareness of our farm, um, the people that want to come out to the farm and see a live manga and want to buy products, um, the same thing, like they want to buy like live chickens or a dead chicken and eggs, and it just has catapulted, which the cool part for me, yes, we're, we're selling out of our amazing products, but it's when the consumer sees the manga that's alive and their reaction, and they're like, oh, my God, this is a woolly pig. Like, we've never seen a pig like this before. And I'm like, no, you probably haven't. And the cool thing is, is, they're the last breed in existence to have a woolly coat. So that's it's, kind of, there's lots of cool history behind it and just having the people come out and then sending um, emails back and just saying how good your product is. It's just very heartwarming and, and kind of cool that you put in all this effort and energy and loving your animals and then in return, the consumers loving your product. So that's pretty cool. And it's, it's been crazy. We just started in 2016 and this is not where I thought I was going to be today. I thought maybe in a few more years, um, but it's, it's, it's neat. Uh, congratulations on both of your successes. And it's, it's incredible how much the story matters today. Uh, just people, if, if there's a story behind the food, it, it just yeah. pulls people in and people are willing to pay for it because it's an experience of, uh, I guess uh, my, for a closing question, just from each of you, and I, I'm not, I don't, uh, I'll let, uh, I'll let uh, Kelly go first. If you had a golden nugget for the industry and or for, for people who might have been in your situation four or five years ago, what would that be? Um, probably the golden nugget would be just, I guess, having that connection with other like-minded breeders that are looking to help you achieve your goals. Um, that's the big thing. I think that we were so lucky when we first met with um, Ivan Lee Farms in Ontario. Like she just helped us a million times that we couldn't ask. So that mentorship and that assistance and somebody that you can go to to ask questions has been worth its weight in gold. So I think with anything, when you're doing, you're looking to do a pasture pork program or it's having that support is, I think, key. And it sounds like that community is very tight-knit and willing to help one another. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Are there any places that people can go to, to, to meet people in that kind of a community? Well, with us, we have a registration. Um, so it's the American Cooney Cooney Pig Registry. And I'm actually on the board of directors. I got appointed in January 2020. 
So we really try to connect all our breeders and help educate them and just give them as much information as we can so they can succeed. That's awesome. So, yeah. Hey, hey, Christina, what about you? What's a gold nugget you might have for individuals who might have been in your situation or in your shoes? I, it would be the same. Um, Kelly, you nailed it right there is a support group. Um, for me, I, I relied a lot on, um, people in Hungary, um, some of the amazing breeders in the U S and like my business model has been fly by the seat of my pants, um, learn as I go and have fun doing it. So it's been uh, a roller coaster and yeah, but having a support group and being one of the first persons to bring in the manga that is into Canada, it's kind of now we're creating a support group, same like Kelly had mentioned. Um, so we're, we're the go-to people and it's kind of neat and making lots of, of connections and good friends along the way. Well, I really want to thank both of you for sharing your stories. Both of them are just fascinating and, and just so interesting. And uh, I wish you guys the very best moving forward. It sounds like you've already had a lot of success, and I expect much more to come in the future. Uh, but I'm pretty sure everybody on listening to this podcast is, is very appreciative of your time and uh, your expertise. So I thank you both. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the... Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. Therefore, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com and subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are available. Today's episode is brought to you by sponsors like Swine Tech. Leverage the power of computer vision, voice recognition, and real-time behavioral monitoring to reduce mortalities and labor inefficiencies in the farrowing house. For more information, visit swinetechnologies.com.